Hey everybody, Melissa McKenzie back from vacation here at the spectacle with Scott McKay. Once again, we got lots to talk about as we sit here. The president, former president Trump sits in a courthouse in Manhattan and is being um, arraigned on 34 counts of falsifying documents or something to which he pled not guilty, Scott. Um, yep. I'm first off, I'm like wondering where are the Republicans? The silence is deafening. Um, I have seen none of them say a word about it except for Scott Hawley. No, Josh Hawley. What am I doing? Scott Hawley. Josh Hawley. Well, um, um, Josh or Jim Jordan rather is talking about, you know, they're going to investigate Alvin Bragg in Congress, which is a little something. I'm not sure exactly how much they can do. Um, I mean, he's a local DA. If he's catching federal money and they want to pull that out of the budget, I think that's a good idea. Um, I mean, you've already heard me because I think we talked about this two weeks ago. I mean, you've already heard me say economic warfare against New York City needs to be the rule of the day among conservatives. You know, like let's impoverish that place down to to the foundations because, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, the grand jury, which is made up of regular New Yorkers, uh, maybe dumb as stumps, but they you know, they voted for this indictment and that represents the city of New York. So this is the city of New York taking down the Republic. I think there should be consequences to that. And I think the city of New York should be economically burned to the ground as a result of this. And, you know, they're doing a pretty good job of that already mm -hmm. uh, with all the people that they've already run out of New York based on the way that place is governed. But I think that there should be intense suffering in New York City as a result of this. So don't buy anything that comes from New York, period. Well, don't go to New York and give them their pay. Don't go to New York. But I mean, like any company that's got a headquarters in New York and somebody needs to make a really good list of that, don't buy their stuff. Hmm. Pull out of New York and then we'll buy your stuff. But if you're in New York, out. And that, that's going to be hard because there's a whole lot of corporate headquarters that are in New York, but so be it. You know, conservatives ought to be buying local anyway. Okay. Hmm. Um, as particularly conservatives who live in red states ought to be buying local. Um, and this is like, this is, this is a real serious kick in the pants that, you know, it is time to disengage economically as much as possible from places like New York and LA and San Francisco and all the rest of these places that are, um, you know, run by a machine that elects somebody like an Alvin Bragg as a district attorney who is somebody who is absolutely antithetical to what this country was founded on and the, the, the principles of the Republic that, uh, that we're founded by. I mean, this, you know, show me the man and I'll show you the crime crap that, that this, and, and look, I'm like, I'm like, you know, we, you and I have talked about this. I'm a lot like you, if it's, if it's me and you say, look, you know, draft somebody to run for president, I'm going to say Ron DeSantis rather than Trump. And it's not even, you know, an ideological thing. I just like somebody younger, right? Like, I mean, I just think he makes more sense. Um, and I'm also, you know, every time I see Trump attacking DeSantis, it makes me freaking break out in hives because that's not the enemy. You're the presumptive front runner. Stick to, you know, being a presumptive front runner and not punch down when people aren't even in the race yet. All of that drives me insane. But 
you know, this is bigger than that. When you start seeing a former president getting not prosecuted, persecuted um, by a, a penny ante asshole like Alvin Bragg, who, you know, thinks that this is going to make him mayor of New York or governor of New York or whatever. And that guy, if you wanted to hide something from him, you would put it in a law book because he would never look for it there. Um, well, and, and the he's going to go. Like, Scott, like one thing I was talking to Kate, our lovely producer, about before we got on here is that they have been looking for something with Trump for years. Yeah, This guy is a real estate mogul in New York, Chicago, all over places where the there's the mob dealing with all sorts of things. Right. And they have looked and looked and looked. His IRS records were illegally leaked. He, yep. he people have poured this, through his finances, his personal, this everything indictment was illegally leaked. You're not well, supposed to is, leak information about the indictment and they leak. Oh, it's 34 counts. That's an illegal leak. And right. Trump said it himself. Alvin Bragg ought to prosecute himself for the freaking leak. Which, well, of course, so, he so my point being is that if if somebody came after you or me or really any American with this kind of ferocity, with our small little potatoes, finances and business or whatever, there would be a law that we have inadvertently broken that we right. could be in trouble for because that's the state right. of America now. They have looked for Trump for something. Do you know how extraordinary it is that they have looked this long and come up so short with right. a guy who's as powerful as him? One almost well, gets I mean, the impression that the reason why they're going after him is because they have nothing to blackmail him with and they're trying to find something. So because every other politician has skeletons and so they want the deep state or whoever, um, the powers that be the, behind the throne, have nothing to intimidate him with, except maybe uh, threatening think, his children, which they've also I, done. They've also done it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, th I think under the circumstances, one could conclude that Donald Trump is remarkably clean. Right. Um, and, and, you know, if we're having been in business in places like New York and Chicago for as long as he has, um, you know, like I, I made the joke to somebody a couple of days ago, it's like, you know, the shadiest stuff that Trump is guilty of is like the protection money he paid to Rahm Emanuel and Chuck Schumer in the form of campaign contributions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he allowed himself to get shaken down by Democrat politicians, like practically every other real estate and construction guy in those cities. Well, he um, had to, though. He, I mean, he. Well, yeah, knew, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying do. like he's at fault for any of that. But like, that's the price of poker if you're going to try to do business in New York. I mean, right. You know, th th there's that famous scene from Back to School where uh, Rodney Dangerfield is sitting in the business class, and the professor's like, "So we've, you know, we've we've uh, budgeted all this stuff for our construction and our physical plan or whatever." And he sits in the back. He says. Oh, you left out a whole bunch of stuff, right? And he starts talking about the union payoffs and all this. Cause, oh, let me tell you about garbage disposal. If you runs that thing, but it ain't the Boy Scouts, right? I mean, right. Like, like that's the world that Trump has had to live in, right? right? And for the fact that he's, you know, endured years and years of scrutiny ever since 2015 when he got in, and like this is what they have.
which is an NDA payment, right, to Stormy Daniels, who violated the NDA. Right. Um, you know, and the thing is, oh, it's hush money. It's like, well, it's not even hush money because it came out anyway. And the point was, like, it's, oh, but he was running for president. So uh, it has to have been a campaign contribution he made to himself. And it's like, oh, so in other words, if he wasn't running for president, he wouldn't pay hush money to somebody that could break up his marriage. Right. Like, I mean, look, I get the partisan animus. Like, I get that. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I don't get is the utter lack of perspective behind all this. Like this idea that, oh, you know, we're going to get Trump and it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, but you're supposed to at least um, observe the, 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 the format of how this works, right? Like people are right. supposed to at least pretend to have goodwill and good faith where this is right. concerned. And there's none of that here. Like they, they, they are jubilant. They are gleeful that they finally have managed to arrest Donald Trump for something it doesn't matter that none of this is valid it doesn't matter that there's no you know criminal conduct here um it doesn't matter that the, the pandora's box that they've opened if the republicans actually decide to emulate the democrats and what we could do to their political class in places where we control you know the the, the district attorney's office and the courts i mean which frankly I think ought to be done. I think it's time for Republican district attorneys in places where, you know, where you can get a Republican judge should absolutely lay waste to the Democrats political class for everybody from city council members all the way up to cabinet officials. Next time Alejandro Mayorkas shows up in Texas, he ought to be arrested. Mm. He ought to be arrested and make him an accessory to all the fentanyl deaths in, in the state of Texas since January of 2021. You know, is that a bullshit legal theory? Yeah. So what? The process is the punishment. That's what this this Trump indictment is teaching us. So let's fight back. As far as I'm concerned, we are now in the post-republic phase of American history. And in the post-republic, anything goes. So set, get to work. And maybe we can restore the republic when the other side realizes that there is such a thing as mutually assured destruction. Because well, so far, nothing but the else thing is, work. I'm going to go back to the, the the my thesis, which is, and I said this on Twitter, the Republicans hate Trump too. They want him gone. They want someone who they can puppet master. I mean, and so like this, this is a bipartisan thing. I really do believe that if the Republicans had any teeth or any desire to stop this sort of mayhem. They would and they could, but they have no desire to do that because they want him gone so badly, too. And well, OK, I don't disagree, but let me at least interject this. Yeah. Um, so DeSantis says last week that Florida would fight extradition in New York. Right. Mm -hmm. If um, yeah, uh, because, you know, he thinks that the indictment's invalid. I mean, he, he said all those were the things that the Trump people wanted DeSantis to say. And so, well, so he, he should have said a week and a half earlier. Maybe so, but I mean, like he should have. You know, we like we can have that fight, whatever. Stupid. Perhaps, but he did say it. But yeah. he says it, and then Trump goes to New York anyway. So you know, and like that was my thing is like, 
Trump's milking this too. Okay, so for different no question, reasons, but he's the- revealed the thing is, is that somewhat like the CNN idiot talking heads were saying that he looks sad going in. Yeah, this is a terrible time for America. Yeah, and the Trump whole country knows should be this. sad about this. And yeah. he's illustrating the. I really feel like he's illustrating the absurdity with this absurdity. Like, well, I mean, this is happening during Easter week. Do you not realize the right. freaking allegory that you're setting up here with this right. stupid indictment? Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's 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 like breathtaking the way these mm-hmm. uh, this thing has been done. Anyway, but my point is, I think everybody's milking this. Okay, Trump's raised seven million dollars since the indictment came came down. Um, yeah. You know, the Secret Service is begging him, "Look, we're going to do this late at night. We're gonna, like this going to get this away." Like, oh no, I'm coming out of the car in front of God and everybody. I mean. We're going to make this as big a deal as we can. And I can't fault him for that. But the point is, they could have gone a totally different way. When DeSantis said, hey, Florida's going to fight extradition, Trump's people could have gone around to every red state governor and said, look, are you in with DeSantis? Because here's the deal. We're going to go everywhere but New York. And I'm going to basically shoot the bird at Alvin Bragg everywhere I go and say, hey, come get me, right? Um and just gone all over the country and just talked about how you know um, illicit this is and how illegitimate that that whole thing in New York is and blah no. blah. Like he could have done that. He could have. Chose but it would have to. been stupid. I'm sorry. He's doing actually the right thing here. And from Maybe, a, I don't know. I'm not from a of that. from an optics point of view. The the thing is the, about making this public, making drawing attention to it the and making making the covert over if he was traveling around to state to state they would have said that he was avoiding prosecution and this is the a guilty man but he is going into the teeth of this if they convict him even better it will show how the rule of law means nothing and this well, is you the do thing. understand that they will convict him oh yes like, you understand that right? oh absolutely this is happening they they can't go back now. Yeah. No, no. They're, well, they're that's in the for point. a penny, in for a pound. They're done. I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, this is going to be a kangaroo court as bad as the one in federal court in New York that, and we should talk a little bit about this if we have time, um, that that convicted Douglas Massey uh, Mackey. Yeah who was the blogger who did the the joke about how, hey, here's how you can text your vote for Hillary back in 2016, (laughs) which was hilarious. And this guy has just been convicted in federal court in New York City. Facing um, 10 years in prison. 10 years in prison for tweeting a joke. And you want to talk about the, you know, the First Amendment. The First Amendment doesn't exist in this country anymore. Nope. You know, and uh, like, I don't remember who this this Obama judge that that presided over this conviction. I, you want to talk about like uh, what the Republicans in the House ought to be doing. They ought to be impeaching this son of a bitch right now because you can't. How do you not throw that case out of court altogether? Uh, guy, guy makes a meme on Twitter and somehow he's, you know, he, he's going to get a federal conviction for like interfering with an election with a meme. 
like, how can you even pretend to have free speech in a country where that happens? To me, the that's Republicans want him gone too. I I, I keep Who, saying the guy, this, Mackey. I don't think. Yes, Republicans they do not. They do not believe. They have the same. They're just. A, it's a difference in degrees. They want MAGA gone. They want all of Trump supporters gone. They hated the Tea Party. They hate the people in the House who are the Freedom Caucus. They McConnell has castrated any Freedom Caucusy person in the Senate. He co-opted them. Out about that. It's, this is them too. They don't like the smelly little people. They think they're above them, and they are making tons of money at their expense. So this is, if they can, um, do they care about all of this tech stuff, silencing conservatives? No, it only becomes a problem if it specifically affects them. And frankly, if they don't have to tweet, they will give up that freedom so that everyone else who's is, you know, trying to participate and get to the truth will have to be shut up too. I mean, this is, I, I, none of this happens without Republicans. None of this happens at, without Mitch McConnell. None of this happens without a flaccid, corrupt right. And that's where we're at. So I don't know. I, I have, you know, I like Jim Jordan. I, I think I liked Devin Nunes, not at first, but then I came to like him. And especially when I met him and everything, I was like, oh, this guy's a sincere guy. But but they're the minority. They are the absolute minority. The majority of the Republicans view the people, the innocent people who came to January 6th and stood there and wanted their voices to be heard. They hate them and they fear them because they want to be able, the Republicans have never followed their, you know, their platform. And until we, uh, you know, uh, out in the hinterlands, get where the things are at, we're going to constantly be disappointed. And Ron DeSantis is no savior either. He will get in office and he will be um, blackmailed and bullied into silence too. And we'll, we'll be in total war with Russia or something idiotic because of what the Democrats have started. So the only solution is individual and local, in my opinion, and move to where people are uh, like-minded because a lot of places are lost. You are not, as a conservative, ever going to get justice in a Democrat city. It, the oh, the ideas that, that we had of what America is, it's over. And it's really difficult to even just accept, but I think that's where we're at. And Trump is just at this point, there's nothing that can, the people have to see it like and face it. And I think that's why he's doing what he's doing so publicly. I mean, that's just my two cents about it. And, and, and I hope I'm wrong, but I, I, I don't think that I am. And I think that the rule of law is a thing of the past. I just don't think that well, that's, um, I mean, that's clear, particularly in, in places where there's a Soros DA. I mean, you know, we, you I mean, just look at Alvin Bragg, right? I mean, this is a guy, you know, you had a, a, a you know, guy working in a bodega 
and this nut job shows up uh, because his girlfriend was trying to steal whatever it was she was trying to steal. Guy says something about it. So this guy shows up and he's going to beat the living hell out of the bodega worker who, you know, gets a drop on the guy and kills him, right, after he's been attacked. And, you know, that guy spent a week in Rikers before public outcry sprung him and Bragg left him alone. You know, the other thing is, is this guy's a parking lot attendant. It was a week ago or something. Um, gets shot twice by some guy, you know, trying to get, I guess, the money out of the cash register for the little parking attendant booth. And he manages to get the gun away from the guy and shoot him. Um, doesn't kill him. But, you know, so uh, they, you know, come paramedics come and take them both to the hospital. And Bragg's going to prosecute this guy for attempted murder. He gets shot twice. Take, you know, takes the gun away and shoots his attacker. And he's the one gets gets charged. And the answer is, is that New York is, you know, if you saw, uh, what is it? The, the Dark Knight Rises, I guess it was, mm, yeah. you know, Bane takes over Gotham. Right. Right. And the cops are, you know, stuck in the sewer and the criminals come in and they take over the town. Like that is what New York City is. That is what Philadelphia is. That is what L.A. is. It is what San Francisco is. OK, Portland, Seattle, every place where there was a, a Soros D.A. Chicago. All right. New Orleans. The criminals are in charge. OK. And if you live there, then, you know, I hate to tell you, you need a gun. Problem is, is that if you use it, you're mm -hmm. taking your life into your hands because yeah. they will absolutely prosecute you and they will throw you in, in a holding cell with all of those people. And when they see you coming, they will absolutely have at you. And you may die in jail. You may get the living hell beat out of you. You may have to kill somebody in jail just to stay alive. And then they'll prosecute you for that. Okay. So, you know, why you're in that city, I have no idea. Because all you can do is keep your head down. You're not actually a citizen when you live in those places because you don't have the right to vote. You're going to be, you're going to vote a certain way and your candidate's going to get 10%. Right. And the other 90% is going to go toward people who hate you and will persecute you. So get the hell out of there and move to the suburbs if you know it's good for you. And if those suburbs are in a blue state, even that's not good enough. Right. You know, but the real question is this. Um, you know, and yeah, maybe you can't fix anything through Congress. But the real question is this. If you live in a red state, what are you willing to do to create this space between you and those other people? Are you willing to make the economic separation from the blue state? Are you willing to have, you know, pressure your public officials into doing things that make your life better at the expense of the blue states? Like, that's this whole idea. Um, and, and, you know, just as an update, the for the last two weeks, my guy who's running, Hollis Day, who's running for the state legislature down here, uh, who came up with this idea of banishing the criminals, is raising money off the idea. He's got people coming to him. Dude, I heard about your deal. Like, there's enthusiasm about that plan. And I figured there would be. It's off the charts. Like this is actually probably getting elected to the legislature because people are fed up. And the way they see right. this is like, yeah, absolutely. Put those people on a freaking bus to New York City and let the New Yorkers who freaking pander to criminals, let them pander to our people. And we'll, we'll get okay, rid of them. So That's how you solve the crime problem is to get rid of the criminals. That, that some some of that self-selection seems to be happening. I saw a chart earlier today and I didn't have a long chance to look at it, but the incoming 
um, San Francisco has reversed the loss of population, but I'm, I'm just wondering if they're just gaining more of these kind of criminal types who are looking for the monthly payments and stuff. And so that kind of self-selection, yeah. one guy they interviewed um, with the associated article said, well, in Texas, I don't um, get $838 or something a month. I don't get free healthcare. I don't get all of these different like goodies. And um, and I get bothered all the time because there's you're not allowed to sleep in a tent on the sidewalk. But here in San Francisco, I can, and he was a fentanyl yep. dealer. He had sold fentanyl to a 15 year old in San Francisco. Yeah. And so he could he could carry on and with like his criminal enterprise Francisco. unmolested. Yeah, well, and that's the whole point, right? Like you can steal up to a thousand dollars worth of stuff and they won't prosecute you. Right. So until there are no more stores to steal from, they're gonna keep doing it. Right. Um, you know, like a friend of mine was just there and he actually watched it happen. Oh, you know, and yeah. like talks to the manager of the store who's like, it's really nothing I can do. I can yell at him, you know, and I'm I'm sitting there like what we need is you know, Chaz Palminteri from the, from a Bronx tale, right? When they have mm. the bikers come into his bar yeah. and want to act like an asshole. And then he locks the door. He says, now you just can't leave. Right. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, like that's what, that's what you need. But you know, if you did that, then it would be the store manager that gets carted off to jail. Right. So, you know, like, okay, fine. So if that's how it's going to be, then y'all can stew in your juices. Right. We will take all of the economic activity out of your city. We will take all of the productive citizens out of your city. We will bring them to our red state or our red suburbs or whatever it might be. And we will cut you off because the number one thing that needs to happen, and this is a congressional thing, um, and it's going to take way more balls than, than uh, Republicans have, but at some point it's going to come to this, is... We're going to get rid of all those economic development block grants that go to blue cities. We're going to zero that out. Billions of dollars we're going to save. And now you're going to have to have a tax base. And guess what? You've run it off. So what are you going to do? Well, you're going to sit there and whine about how your city is dying. And it's like, screw you. You killed it. The suburbs are doing great because all the productive people live there. And at some point, at some point, this is what the score is going to be, and you will have a Republican Party that understands it. I think a lot of people do. They just don't have the, 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 the nutsack to actually make it happen. But it's not that hard. Well, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a, a, a burgeoning budget crisis. And, uh, you know, Phil Wegman at Real Clear had a whole thing of Biden's administration. Well, we can't negotiate with the Republicans until they negotiate with themselves. You know, and, you know, the answer is, is like, yeah, but you're not willing to negotiate any spending cuts in return for a debt ceiling increase. Right. That's an unreasonable position. And so the answer should be, OK, fine. Here's the Republican budget that goes to war over Democrat, you know, blue cities and blue states and zeros them out. We're not funding any of it. How do you like them apples? We'll start with that. And now you can start begging us for this funding and we'll make you negotiate it against yourselves. That's how this should work. And I know there's people right. in the Freedom Caucus in the House that are talking in that language, and everybody else is like, Ooh, I don't know if we can do that. No, you have to do it, right. okay? You have to, 
because yeah. the the alternative is you're going to cave on the debt ceiling and for another couple of years there will be no progress made on the budget we'll go from 33 trillion dollars to 36 trillion or whatever it is and eventually you're going to be greece because the world is starting to give up on the dollar as its reserve currency okay the saudis are now going to be trading in oil with china and taking yuan instead of dollars and that's the camel's nose under the tent pardon the pun or don't i don't care but the point is you are now in a situation where all of this is going to start breaking down and the only salvation for the country from an economic and financial standpoint is to start balancing that budget and try to make a dent in the federal freaking debt. Which Janet we are- Yellen says everything is fine. I, I don't know it. why you're so upset, Scott. Moron. Okay, yeah. John <laughs> Kennedy and Ted Cruz both made Janet Yellen look like a blithering idiot. And and we actually, I think uh, Kurt Schlichter was was uh, in your place last week. We talked about mm-hmm. this a little bit. So um, Janet Yellen's position is that the Biden budget lowers the the uh, the debt by three trillion dollars because mm-hmm. over the next ten years it goes from thirty three trillion in debt to fifty one trillion in debt, but mm-hmm. it would be fifty four trillion but for the Biden budget. okay this is actually the line of bullshit that that woman is the treasury secretary who used to run the fed is is running Mm -hmm. in the u.s senate and of course kennedy annihilated her ted cruz annihilated her too i mean everybody all the republicans did okay annihilated her i mean you know the idea that you could add 18 trillion dollars to the federal debt over the next 10 years and call that a responsible, sustainable, uh, uh, you know, a federal budget that makes progress when it spends $500 billion more next year than it does. It's spending this year when there's a, what, $1.7 trillion federal deficit. Okay. Well, and the thing is, these are the people that run the country. The answer is, you need to cut this budget down to the bone. And it, you know, like I will make allowances for what these people think is politically possible and what is not. The first thing that you cut is all of the Democrat stuff. You make them suffer. The budget starts in the House. So you zero out the Democrats in every blue city, in every blue state, in every blue county that you can. You zero them out and you say, nope, you got to raise your own money because we're not giving you any more federal freaking largesse. Deal with it. I'm not saying Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. I'm not saying that. Those things are harder. The easy stuff is the block grants. The easy stuff is these shitty programs that are designed just to give away money to people who are Democrat special interest group members and nonprofits and all these other you know, uh, parasites on the federal, uh, the federal teat. Okay. Dump all of that. Make sure none of that gets funded in the budget that you send back to Biden. Okay. So it's not that hard. It really isn't. Well, the thing is, is it's hard if you're a Republican. I mean, so they make yelling. It's hard if you're a bad politician. Well, that's what it is. Well, yeah. The yelling, (laughs) 
I mean, I feel like the sky is going to fall any minute. Every time that Yellen, Krugman, Kramer, and Yellen say everything is fine, it, it is invariably about to turn to crap. And so, like, I sit there and I'm like, just shut up. Stop saying it's going to be okay. You know, I read, you know, a hundred since the SVB bank failure, a hundred Americans have taken 125 billion out of their bank accounts. Thanks. Right. Yeah. So clearly Americans don't think everything is fine in their bank account and it's have taken it out because that would actually be smart. Right. You say you that again. Have more than 250. Well, hopefully it's people with more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the bank that are taking it out. Yeah, maybe. I mean, th that but I bet a lot of regular people who you because the thing is, if the whole thing goes tits up, which is possible at this point point with this stupidity that's running things right now um you know the fdic can exist but can it guarantee every you know bank in america i some not unless they're willing to you know print meaningless dollars and turn us into venezuela so i mean they might be willing to do that hey okay so you mentioned don't, don't even start with the might like you know that's what they would try to do the question well, is that's whether you exactly can keep the what press they would is do. rolling fast enough right yeah so in one of the few loyal uh republicans much to many chagrin has been um marjorie taylor green she's got, surrounded by a mob in new york right now and I think might have been driven away because probably her security was too afraid because they were just absolutely mobbed there. But mm -hmm. this last week, she had an interview with Leslie Stahl. And um, we I saw a couple of clips of it. I'm sure you did, too. Um, yeah, I have a thing up at the American Spectator about it today. OK. <laughs> and. You know, the, the problem is, I think for most Republicans, is that Marjorie Taylor Greene is actually kind of leading the way for how they should communicate with the media. And they just, they're, uh, they, one thing that she understands that they seem to not to is that she is already the devil incarnate to, to the media. And so she interacts with them in a realistic way. She interacts with them in a way that she understands how they feel about her. And so she communicates back to them um, with that foundational understanding, which right. makes her um, sound vitriolic sometimes, but I think she's yeah, actually well, just being rational. Well, to, to put it another way, she has as much contempt for them as they have for, for her. Oh, right. Which, which most of these things are like, no, I can make friends with the media. And it's like, right. you know, she's been treated badly enough that she's like, okay, so I know how bad this is going to be. Right. You know, and, mm. and the thing is, is like Leslie Stahl um, has burned so many Republicans with these, these slanted, you know, crappy interviews that she does. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the, the thing of the all time, I guess, greatest was, you know, she's interviewing Trump in October of 2010. And it's, you know, it's it's a hit piece interview. And so Trump has his own people film it. And then Thursday before the Sunday that 60 Minutes airs, he releases the entire thing. 
um, you know, and steals her thunder. And like, you basically see how slanted the piece right. in 60 minutes was. And right. at that point, basically all the Republicans stopped doing Leslie Stahl interviews because who would do it? Marjorie Taylor Greene on Sunday is like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? Right. Right. Like I, I know how bad this is going to be, but I don't care. And right. for the most part, it was a complete disaster, but there were highlights. Right. So, and they wouldn't put it on their air, but the piece about Ukraine where, you know, she's like, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not forgiving, you know, these people this endless supply of money. I'm for us going to the peace table and making peace. Oh, but you can't give away part of Ukraine to Putin. And that rewards it. She's like, they're not the 51st state, right? I mean, look, I, you know, we're 32 trillion in debt. Like we've got all these different things. Our border is a disaster. We've got way bigger problems than Ukraine. And I don't want to spend any more money on something that's not our problem, right? Which I'm not saying that's the majority of the American opinion on Ukraine now. In six months, it absolutely will be. Yeah. Um. You know, and I'm not sure it's not the majority position now. I don't like know if that you we could know that accurately because everything is so skewed. You know, like if you ask, well, I, don't, I haven't seen any polling on it. I haven't said, so well, let me, let me put it this way. I haven't seen any polling that phrased the question appropriately, which is, right. should we, should we, is Joe Biden correct when he talk, when he talks about doing whatever it takes for Ukraine to win that war or would we be better off just securing as advantageous a peace uh, treaty as possible and then moving on to other things? I think if you ask the poll question that way, you're going to get more for the latter position than the unlimited help for Ukraine position. But I don't I, haven't, I don't know of a pollster that's even done that question. Maybe somebody has. Um, and, you know, tell us in the comments if you've seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, like the point is, she takes that position that I think is probably a majority position. And Leslie yeah. Stahl acts like Marjorie Taylor Greene has just spouted a third eye on the top of her head. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. you can't. And it's like, no, actually. And she's like, well, what's wrong with making peace? Why do we have to have war all the time? And you know, the producers at 60 Minutes are like, that shit doesn't make CBS's air. Right. <laughs> right. And so they put it on YouTube and it's the, you know, 60 minutes plus thing. And it's like, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully nobody will watch this, but we can say that we at least released it. Right. But the thing that really won the day for Marjorie Taylor Greene was when Leslie Stahl's like, you said Democrats are a bunch of pedophiles. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> she's mm -hmm. like, you're sexualizing children. That's what pedophiles do. Right. Right. And um, there's this great uh, tweet from Scott Adams, right? Mm -hmm. the, the creator of Dilbert, who has been canceled uh, for making a pretty um, reasoned argument, which is, you know, there's this poll question that somebody asked that um, basically got a really bad answer from black respondents about white people. Um, and he said, well, if this poll question is accurate, if these responses are accurate, then white people should stay away from black people because they're out to get them. <laughs> and for that, he was canceled. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, nobody has a sense of humor anymore. Nobody is willing to think out of the box. This guy gets canceled for making a point, which is to chide the respondents of that poll question 
right? It's like, look, if you believe this, then don't be mad when other people decide they want to stay away from you because you're not helping, right? Like, that's what he was saying. For that, he gets canceled. So Scott Adams is like basically red-pilled at this point. And he says, he tweets when he sees this clip, he's like, I've been laughing for the last 10 minutes about this. He's like, I have told Republicans for, you know, a couple of years, don't call the Democrats pedophiles. I'm wrong. He's like, I'm wrong. They should absolutely do it. Forget about the facts. If you're going to get called racist all day long, call them pedophiles. And of course, I do a whole thing in the in the spectator about this because it's like, it's no less unfair than the freaking racism charge against Republicans. When James Carville, who is a dyed-in-the-wool racist, is going around calling Republicans racist, there are no rules. Okay, this is all about, yes, it's a shot below the belt. Those are all the shots in American politics now. Okay, they're all below the belt. And oh, by the way, this one isn't that below the belt. I was just going to say, how below the belt is it to note that, you know, what kind of a psychopath sits there and says, it's that encourages uh, um, trannies dancing in front of babies. Like we're not even talking toddlers. Right. Right. Why is this the even, what are we doing well, here? The- I mean, you know, okay. So how many Republicans other than David French, how many Republicans are pushing this? Not that many. It's all Democrats pushing it. Right. Who's filling up the school libraries with gay porn? Right. Ain't Republicans, it's Democrats. Who elected a guy president who showered with his 12-year-old daughter? Uh-huh. And we know this is true because it was in her diary that you get arrested by the feds if you're in possession of, which proved that it was her diary, by the way. Okay, right. And it's not even that you need that evidence because all you got to do is watch the video clips of this guy creeping on everybody else's kids. Yeah. That doesn't bother Democrats in the least. They had 25 candidates in 2020 and they picked a pedophile to dominate. So you know what? Screw you. You are a bunch of pedophiles by the same standard you call Republicans racist. Okay. Well, no, the by, sin by, of believing by more in Martin fear. Luther King's colorblind society. Right. 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 And you're going to call us that? Guess what? There's no level that's off limits at this point. And this has some meat on its bones. So good for Marjorie Taylor Greene that she was willing to go there. And Leslie Stahl's reaction when she basically just said, yeah, it is the pedophile party. She's like, wow. And it's like, okay, (laughs) you're right. Because we've been saying that shit to y'all calling us racist for 25 or 30 years. And you know what? That doesn't work. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, I think every single Republican running for office ought to be calling their Democrat opponent, if not a pedophile, then pedophile adjacent or if you want to call them groomers, call them groomers. groomers. I'm fine with that, because at the end of the day, you you're sexualizing kids. You want to teach them about alternative exotic sexualities when they're five. Okay, they don't understand any of that shit. And you, oh, no, no, this is how you broaden their horizons, right? And this is how you keep people from growing up as homophobes and transphobes. Like, that's a five-year-old. They don't know about sex and you shouldn't be teaching them about that. That makes you a pedophile adjacent, groomer, whatever you want to call. You're a wacko if you do that to kids. And 
This is not some crazy position. This is standard, like, civilization. It's not even American traditional. This is 5,000 years of civilization. You don't do that to kids. And Democrats think it's a civil rights issue if you don't. Okay? Like, if that's who you are and that's the agenda that you're pushing, I'm going to call you everything under the sun and I'm going to feel fine about it. Because you are that bad, and you do deserve it. And if the Democrats don't like it, guess what, guys? The road is wide open for you to prove that you're not a pedophile, which is to stop pushing this agenda. All right? Call these people out. Stop putting the the drag queens on the country music television awards show. Okay? Like... Okay, okay. I don't know. Not- hey, Scott, I don't know anything about country music. Who was the singer who was singing with them? Uh, it's Kelsey Ballerini or something. I don't. As far as I know, she's not actually really a country singer, right? Like she's just a singer who happens to like okay do country. She's not country. There's nothing about her that's country. Um, you know. But anyway, yeah, they put her out there, and they they started with some kind of gun grabbing. Uh, yeah. uh thing on this and this is not the country music association awards this is cmt the the you know cable channel that nobody watches right that did okay this. and it's look and all it's all the same crap it's some woke you know multinational corporation that owns this channel right and they're you know like they're gonna put that out there and it's all oh, this is how we stay relevant and it's all about selling ads to you know, ad agencies on Madison Avenue. It's not about the audience. It this has nothing whatsoever to do with what the public wants. The public right. has zero interest in watching a bunch of freaking drag queens stomping around on TV. There's there's every time that every time one of these things is put in front of the public in a way like does it draw an audience? Does it not? Okay. Every time they make a movie about this, any of that crap. All of it loses money. It's all a disaster. Okay. Right. Bud Light just gave a freaking endorsement mm-hmm. deal to this Dylan Mulvaney, this freaking nut job. And from what I understand, there are now distributors, Anheuser Busch distributors, are like, we're out. Which, yeah. well, I was that, like, this was I, a. Big, I don't know that that actually pans out, but. Uh, yeah, I, I I was like, this is an insane. Did you see the um, Kid Rock? Is it? Yeah, Kid Rock. Is that one? Yeah, uh, should use his gun to shoot the the uh, Bud Light. He was just so pissed. And I, I'm, <laughs> but it's awesome. like the thing is, is like this has got us uh, stop. Nobody wants this. I was reading some research Nobody about. Does like the Amazon prime. And they were saying how they do, do they are really, really heavy data dependent, of course, because they're a data company. And when they do all this um, research, they find out that uh, things like Reacher, the show that Chris, um, oh, what's his name? Um, I, I forget, but anyways, another uh, no, military. No, no. uh, you're talking about, you're talking about Chris Pratt's show on Amazon, yeah. um, which is not Reacher. It's, um, um, um kill list or oh, something? the contractor i think it's the contractor i don't I remember don't the name of the show anyway but i but watched I both of about. them because i have a teenage son and they're good right. and they're doing oh, yeah. really really well and all of the kind of wokish projects don't do so well and the, so they were complaining that a lot of really good meaningful things get killed because people because uh 
the money isn't following the heart. They're going by the data. And I'm like, the data makes the money, you idiots. The, you know, this woke stuff, <laughs> nobody's watching it and nobody wants to watch it. And, uh, um, um, you know, so it's just like, stop it. And, and the thing is like in Reacher in particular, um, it had a multi-culti kind of, uh, uh, cast and the premise was, you know, whatever, but this is somehow, uh, a problem for the artists, you know, anyway. Yeah. So, okay. Speaking of, I'm going to take a kind of a turn to Louisiana and talk about women's basketball, which generally speaking right. is treated like a joke, but there was a, um, big, final in in the March madness that spilled over into April um female basketball championship and there was some mm -hmm. controversy around that and our producer is from Iowa Kate <laughs> hello and <laughs> Scott is from Louisiana and I come yep. from the perspective of being a female basketball player in in high school and then when I went to college and grad school, I played like on, you know, leagues and in grad school, I played with the guys because there weren't enough girls who wanted to play. So I ended up playing with the boys and refing with the boys and all that. And I saw the controversy. I saw the, you know, hand in the face thing, you know, um, and the problem with it. And I came from a high school team where pretty much trash talking was an art form. <laughs> I was trying to explain to my kids about how trash talking was just interwoven into the game of basketball. It is yeah. part of yeah. basketball. And, um, I mean, uh, they would be probably appalled at some of their own, their mother's behavior <laughs> on the basketball court. And, <laughs> and also I think about, uh, some of the things that were said and done both ways, you know, but what was particularly offensive in some people's minds is in this game was the winner rubbing it in so far after the final buzzer after winning and just kind of right. being, uh, stalking yeah, disrespectful and whatever. So I wanted to get your guys's opinion about that. I mean, I have my own opinion about this. I, um, but, uh, Kate, what are your thoughts? Cause I think your thoughts are the thoughts of, they are of a lot of different, um, commentators at least. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, I'm not a fan of the, like, le le let John Cena do it. You know, I'm like, you want to, I'm, I'm not a fan of it from anyone. You're not, you're not a fan of trash talking and getting in. Your oh, trash talk. All want. It's specifically the like John Cena. Don't see me. I'm kind of like. That bothers I'm, you. I'm not the biggest fan of it. So I, like, I'm just saying, I don't like it when Caitlin Clark does it. I don't like it when LeBron, I don't know who else does it, but so th just my disclaimer. So I'm like, when people are saying that they do the same thing, like, I don't like it from anyone. So the thing is, is Caitlin Clark does it. And she also, you know, has the probably biggest range, like three point wise um, of any basketball player currently men or women's. I haven't seen a lot of men even pull the 
range that she does. Um, I mean, she's the hottest basketball star right now. I mean, she's gotten all the TV attention. Um, and LSU won fair and square. I'll give them that also. I could rant about the refs and the fouls on both teams, but I'll leave that for another day. Um, but yeah, so at the end, um, and you know, LSU was up the whole game, like by the fourth quarter, it was pretty obvious Iowa was going to lose. Um, also disclaimer, I don't know if you can see, I, I'm an Iowa grad, so full disclaimer, there's, there's <laughs> bias here. <laughs> um, but so like, like you said, Angel Reese, who is a sophomore, so I, I don't know if she's a red shirt sophomore or just a, a real sophomore. She's, she's um, a sophomore. Yeah. So she follows her around, follows Caitlin around getting probably within three to four feet of her doing this, doing this. I got the ring, you know, just totally being over the top in my opinion. Um, And so there's a lot of controversy about, you know, well, well, Caitlin does it. So like, it's the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Oh, now you're just saying it because Caitlin's white. Oh, like yada, yada, yada. So there's there's a whole bunch of reasons why people think that it's it's wrong. It's not. Um, I think um, and Dave Portnoy, who, you know, another controversial figure, because why not? Um, he, I think he said it really well, where like we have never seen someone in any kind of championship game follow around another player like that, like what Caitlin does is in the moment it's after she hits a three it's you know when she has the crowd going it's you know during the game and rarely I'm not going to say it's never rarely directed at a specific player usually like at her bench or something or even at the crowd to like get them going so yeah I I I just like I, I wasn't a fan of the whole following her around thing I thought it was very classless um you know if that's not a characteristic that you desire to have then so be it you know if you don't care to be classy then you don't care to be classy um but you know I, I think that it was a really good basketball game again I could go off about the refs I think that um women's basketball got a really good spotlight you know I love to see the college women's game getting more attention i think what i don't even know if the tournament topped a million viewers for women's last year and we were at like 9.9 million for the final so um i mean in summary i'm super excited for iowa but i think lsu could have won a little bit better all right scott what do you got what's your take okay um I'm with you on the uh, excessive taunting at the end of the game. I didn't like it either. I thought it was uh, it was a little much. Uh, having said that, and you know, having played, I didn't play college, but I did play high school. Uh, I can tell you that if you haven't played basketball, you probably ought to shut up about trash talking. Period. Cause that is the game. Okay. Yeah. Baseball is fans heckling players because you want to get okay. in everybody's head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Football is basically fighting and physically dirty play. Cause you can get away with it. In, right. You know, in the, like the line of scrimmage and so forth. And basketball is running your mouth from the beginning of the game to the end of the game and 
probably even beyond. Um, Okay. So uh, there's, there's that aspect of it that everybody's throwing a fit over, you know, what, what is classless, but some of this is like, if you're at a basketball game and you're sitting front row and it's, you know, a major college game or an NBA game or whatever, it's not the same thing as watching the game on TV. Cause if you're sitting in the, you know, Jack Nicholson seats and you can actually hear the stuff that, that these guys will say to each other. Okay. It's nothing like what the camera picks up and okay? what's being said to the players by guys on the bench and Absolutely. by by the fans behind the bench too. Oh, uh, no question too. about mean, it. Although I would I, I would say that you get more of that in baseball than you get in basketball because in baseball there are quiet periods where they right. can hear every word. All right. right. Um right. whereas in basketball it's attenuated to some extent. Yeah. The point being that um horrifically nasty trash talking is a feature of the game has always when they were using right. peach baskets it was a feature of the game and if you think that this is something that you should have overriding or 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 um spoiling the actual competition of the game then probably don't even bother now having said all that i think there are a couple of things that are at play number 1 both caitlin clark and angel reese have amassed massive numbers of social media followers in the app, the, uh, the aftermath of all this. And yeah. And the social media following is mother's milk. It is gold when you are trying to sign an NIL deal, because that is the, the primary Mm -hmm. means by which you are able to generate the audience for your name, image, and, and likeness um, in front of certain people. I mean, LSU's got another athlete, um, Livy Dunn, who's a gymnast, yeah. uh, who is worth like millions of dollars because of essentially running an OnlyFans <laughs> on, on Instagram and, and TikTok. And she's right. gorgeous. Give her all that. But like, if you think what Angel Reese did is classless, then you probably don't want to see Livy Dunn. Um, <laughs> so anyway, like, from there's a method. There's a, you can say, oh, this is, you know, classless and she's a hood and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, she's monetizing this in a way that's available to her that, you know, like anybody who's her agent would tell her that. The other piece to this is that um, all of the people who are making this into a major controversy are doing more for women's basketball than they ever thought they could. Um, and this is going to come off because I'm the guy in this argument and I'm going to be the sexist when I say this. Women's basketball. And I mean, look, history proves me out on this. Women's basketball has to have at the college and the in WNBA level has to have a certain WWE um, uh, nature to it. OK, the the game in and of itself and everybody talks about the uh lsu iowa game which as a women's basketball game is about as good a ball game as you will ever see it was really objectively a fantastic game compared to uh the next night you had uconn and san diego state which as men's college championship games go was an absolute snoozer of a game having said that the level of play in the uconn san diego state game 
was so much greater than the LSU-Iowa game, it's not even funny. And I'm not saying that to be pejorative, but the physicality and the athleticism and the speed of the defenses playing in the UConn and San Diego State game made the game boring because it was so freaking hard to get a shot off, okay? Um, and in saying that, I'm not trying – to, to demean the women's game at all. I'm just trying to say that the game itself in men's basketball, particularly at the, you know, end of the NCAA, the final four level, the NBA level or whatever, the athleticism is so great that it stands on its own compared to that. The women's game needs something extra. Okay. So that's why Kim Mulkey wears these outrageous outfits on the sideline. That's why you have, some of this, you know, over the top trash talking is because the women's basketball has got to build a brand to get, you know, the audience and the money into the game that it needs. And it's hard to do that when, you know, your players are not going to dunk basketballs. Right. Um, and yeah, there's great three point shooting. The ball is a lot smaller and the line is in. So you should have good three point shooting and shooting is what women do. Right. Okay, like okay, that's what you can do. Scott, so I my point I, is this: it's uh, salesmanship that's at work here, mm -hmm. and it it is what it is. And you know, it may not be your cup of tea, but if you think that Marcus at Queensbury rules is what's going to get women's basketball growing, first of all, that's not American culture as it is now, and second of all, how long are they supposed to wait to grow the game? And that's why you have what you have. Okay. So I played basketball back in the eighties when they changed the ball. When I first played and it was in my sophomore junior year, they transitioned from the, cause men and women played with the same ball mm -hmm. and, and then they transitioned to a smaller ball for women. I don't know. It had to be around maybe 85, 84, 85, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And so um, and it took everybody a season or so to get used to it because we were used to the bigger balls. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things is, is that men have gotten increasingly taller and taller and taller in like uh, basketball. The average height has increased. There were always some outliers, but there were no Yao Mings and, uh, you know, who, you know, these well, kind of extraordinary freaks of nature, not really. It's not even that. 20 years ago, a college team going going to the final four. I mean, the guards were six one, six two. Yep. Go look at UConn last night. All their guards are six five and six six. The exactly. short guy that they brought out there was uh Joey Calcaterra off the bench. He's six four. Right. So right? my point with that being is that with the the basket height hasn't changed. And so the men's game um has changed uh because physicality power all of the different strength training that basketball players do now didn't used to be done things right. have changed dramatically with the game but yet the parameters of the game for men have not changed and so they're taller it's easier for them to hit a shot it's easier for them to dunk it's easier than for them to do everything really and so where where does the game change speed uh, power, all the things that you're talking about, Scott. Defense. Well, defense. I mean, defense is is the is the difference. If you watch a college game, you know, like the old those great Houston teams with Olajuwon and Drexler, yeah, yeah. and you know, Villa like Villanova beats Georgetown when they're not even 
you know, remotely right. supposed to. Right. Basically, because they hit sh open shots from outside. Right. I right, mean, right. you play like San Diego State. UConn didn't have those shots. I mean, right. like those guys deed up. They were in their faces all game long, and it was right. hard to make shots. So yeah. Well, okay. So that so that has changed. What what I see when like when you're watching women's basketball is really the game that used to be played. Yeah. Because women have gotten taller too, but they're not taller than the average man was, but like in the eighties or anything. And right. the game has sped up for women. The skill has gotten better, but it's been in proportion to the men. And now what you're seeing on, in a women's college team, not the M WNBA because they let them walk and do all kinds of bull crap that yeah, drives me insane. Yeah. But, right. um, the you're seeing more of a traditional basketball game as it once was now yeah. as as far as like the trash talking and stuff goes that's part of the game and after the game stuff i mean i wish that the nba would go back to the way it used to be where teammates people hated each other i grew up in the years where the winners and the losers didn't go out to dinner afterwards. You right. weren't best friends with anybody on the opposing team. Magic and bird didn't like each other. Jordan right. hated everybody and everyone hated Jordan because he's an asshole. Right. And, right. you know, and talk right. about and the, Martin. The, the, the Detroit Pistons used to get in fights. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you had, you know, Bill Lane beer and Jeff Ruland. I mean, these guys yeah. were, you know, more thuggish than anybody that's in now. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But and it was a brand, right? Like the Pistons right. were a really good team and everybody hated them because they were right. nasty. Well, but um, the thing is, is there, the, the hatred between teams was not theoretical. It was not between players. It was not a made up thing. It was genuine. And me as a fan, I loved it. Yeah. Frankly, I hope Iowa and LSU hate each other and I hope they beat, the, you know what we used to do in high school? There was a team that would, that would file their nails, their long nails to points to scratch the other team. I'm not even joking. The <laughs> stuff that was said, I, I went in one time cause I was like the sixth, seventh man on the team. And we had a state championship team and we were, we were a team that could no couldn't exist now because we were short and we were fast and we were incredible on defense. And, and so it was kind of like that Villanova team, you know, that beat Georgetown. That doesn't happen anymore. Everybody's tall. It wouldn't even be, a, it wouldn't even be a thing. Um, and my whole purpose going in, I told my kids this, was to take out the star of the other team. I was playing defense on her and I elbowed her hard so hard. I thought it was going to get teed up. I didn't. I bodied her so hard and purposefully. And I was a tiny little thing, but we were flying around that. And, and twice, I think I got three, three fouls in like five or six minutes. It was insane. But that was my whole purpose is to throw her yeah, off. Well, the that's game. what you do when you come off the bench. You're five fouls. Right. I mean, that's, that's exactly your job, right? That's your if job. You can draw a couple thousand on the other guy and get them out of, you know, out of the game. Right. And that's what exactly. the bench is for. It was just, it was, the, it was the strategy. And so like, I do, um, I appreciate a good, uh, um, 
competition. I appreciate hatred of your opponent after the game. I appreciate all those things. Stalking somebody around, what I what I have to tell you guys, you know what my response was? Was the the white girl, is it Caitlin? Is that yeah. her name? I was like, the fact that she didn't haul off and punch that girl, because back in my day, that's what would have happened. She, there she would have been a she lane didn't even notice at the time. She said she didn't even notice at the time and she was just trying to get to the handshake line. I don't know if that's. Well, I don't know either, but like that kind of taunting, that would earn you a knuckle sandwich for sure. Or a good elbow to the face. I was like, I was kind of surprised that, you know, at her self-control and not, you know, not taking it to her, but the really great athletes ignore that and come back and, you know, like, uh, like, uh, like a Larry bird, if she turns out to be like a Larry bird, but for women, white, tall women, um, just make punishes you on the court yeah. over well, and I mean, over and the, over again. That's Larry how bird you was Larry bird was a, a legendary trash. Talker. Oh, he's the worst. I mean, Larry and I bird love him. was like, you know, all of these other guys. And I mean, all of these players from the eighties and nineties who are, you know, lionized as you know the the you know the the golden age of the game and these guys are these you know these great figures you know and they and they were but bird and dr j and magic and isaiah thomas and mm-hmm. jordan and kevin McHale and hakeem olajuwon and all shaq barkley massive trash talkers and i mean those guys got in shoving matches all the time you know, if 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 they had a microphone on the things that these guys would say to each other, that would make Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark look like nothing. I mean, so the idea that you know, okay, you know what? So wait, Scott, I gotta just say one thing because you reminded me of something. All of the guys who you mentioned were so bad that Joe Dumars, who is the sweetest, sweetest guy, he had the reputation just for being sweet. Everybody else was terrible on all the teams, yeah. all the players they you played mentioned. Played on the Pistons, and he was I mean, on the Pistons. The played on the <laughs> nastiest team in basketball. So and he yeah, was just I mean, he really didn't have to be that such a sweetheart of a guy, and yeah. and had a reputation, and he stood out because he wasn't like everybody else. So right. it's the right. game. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And, uh, yeah, um, look, I think I look. This is um, whether it was staged uh for this purpose or whether it's just working out this way i'm going to be agnostic about but the fact of the matter is we have spent however many minutes talking about women's basketball today exactly we didn't do that i mean you know we weren't doing the podcast last year we wouldn't have done it last year yeah um and so you know and of course you know the addition to this is that yesterday we're doing this on tuesday so monday Jill Biden, who was at the game, then says, oh, normally we invite the champion to the White House, but we should invite Iowa, too. And it's like, look how stupid you are. You are as dumb as your husband. And of course, the Iowa kids are insulted by this. Oh, right. It's like, what is this, a participation trophy? Screw you, lady. And of course, Angel Reese, who's like, hey, I'm already a lightning rod, so I might as well let it fly. She freaking tweets a joke, joke. right? Which, you know, okay, maybe she was wrong with the John Cena thing, but she definitely wasn't wrong about this. It is Um, a joke. And even it got so bad that Nancy Armour, who was this 
hardcore leftist that writes for USA Today and does sports stuff tore up Jill Biden. I mean, tore her up talking about, you know, like this is a massive insult to both LSU and Iowa. And, it like, thing, and it's like, leave it to the Bidens to like, make come along. Oh, here's something we can poop on it, make it worse. And they did. Um, so what's but, Iowa you know, going to do? Because there is no way in hell I would show up at the White House after being coming not. in second. Mm. I would be insulted. No, well, there, there was a joke, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know where this came from, but I saw it somewhere, and I didn't see the attribution to it. But you know, the joke is, is that Trump has then all of a sudden invited LSU to Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be great. Oh, I mean, it would be so perfect if LSU showed up and here's Trump and, and you know, he's given Angel Reese is that the, the big trucker baseball cap under that <laughs> massive over that massive hair. And it's a MAGA hat. I mean, like that, that would blow everyone's mind so bad. And the thing about it is like, you know, uh, and it's kind of the word is already got Kim Mulkey's like big conservative, like big conservative she two years ago when she got the job at lsu it was in the middle of covid right it was like early 2021 and like so everybody had to wear a mask and like she's wearing the mask and she takes them she's i don't need that throws it away and starts doing her, her opening press conference and of course all the media in the state whoa you can't take your mask off she's like yeah you can tell you know go screw yourself <laughs> she's pretty outspoken and like when Brittany griner who played for her at baylor got arrested in russia Tim Mulkey was like, had nothing to say. And they ripped her. Oh, how can you not defend her, your player? And it's like, because I'm a little embarrassed by Brittany Griner, frankly. Um, and so she like kept quiet. And so now they're calling her a homophobe. And like, I can't remember what her name is. The um, um, kind of chubby girl on ESPN who says stupid things. Sarah something. Sarah Spain. Um saturday i guess it was whatever rips kim mulkey about the outfits that she's wearing oh she's gotta wear sparkly outfits to hide the fact that she's a homophobe right and i mean she got ratioed so fast on twitter when she said that but the point is like there's this sports media that is there's two things about them number one massively woke more woke than the political media is. Yeah. Okay. That's number one. Generally speaking, because these are the reporters and, and pundits who are not as good as the political people. And so they try even harder, right? right. That That's one, one thing. And the other thing is all they want to do is generate controversy. It's not enough right. to actually talk about the game, right? And you can right. see this on ESPN, which is covered with morons. Um, I mean, they've got to do like a political debate about every, you know, who's the greatest player in Kansas City Chiefs history. And now we're going to have a knockdown drag out fight over that. And it's like, you know, like, OK, Lynn Dawson was good. And, you know, Mahomes is good. Like, so what? Why is it a competition? Well, because we've got to get, you know, clicks. And, and it's like, no, you've ruined the coverage of the thing. Like ESPN is notorious for this. Talk to any sports fan, they'll tell you, oh, God, I can't stand ESPN. I'll watch the games, but I can't stand the talk shows because it's nonstop arguing about things that people really don't want to argue about, 
right? You know and what, so- you know, Scott, you know what? All the talk shows should be like what um, Charles Barkley and Shaq have going, where it's just funny. Absolutely. And it just, it's a good time to watch yeah, whatever they're yapping Those guys about. and Kenny Smith and, yeah, and Ken- Kellogg and, and, you know, Ernie and, and when, you yeah. know, CBS has Jim Nance. And yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of friends. They do commercials together with right. Spike Lee. And like the whole thing is like, hey, we noticed that you're here for a good time. So right. we're going to show you a good time. And ESPN <laughs> hasn't the faintest clue about that. The only mm-hmm. place on any of ESPN's networks that you'll actually see that is if and you know you guys are not going to be watching college baseball but when espn does college baseball coverage and they get kyle peterson and um ben mcdonald Hmm. uh who both were you know big time college pitchers mcdonald pitched for the orioles for years and years and those are just like funny guys and they're really kind of understated in the way they uh they talk about the game there's Mm -hmm. no arguing or any of that they're just telling stories Right. And it is hilarious listening to these guys because it's all self-deprecating, you know, right. stuff. And they really add to the, you know, they know about the game and they will talk about, Hey, this guy's batting stance. This is what it's for. They'll do all that. But when they just, when it's kind of downtime and they're just kind of filling, it's entertaining as can be. It's hilarious. Right. right. Um, and, but it's totally different from everything else ESPN does in sports mm. coverage which yeah. is all, uh, we get more clicks when we set people against each other and have these fights. Right. And this is what this whole thing with Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese is all about, is to try to gin this crap up, um, which I think on balance helps the women's game. It doesn't help sports, mm-hmm. okay? Like this this thing would have been better from a sportsmanship standpoint, from a love of the game standpoint, if everybody would have looked at the, you know, this and said, I don't really like that. And then moved on. Right. But they can't move on because it gets clicks. Um, And that, you know, some of that is just American culture. I don't like it. I understand it. And I'm just like, I'm not going to say Angel Reese is a thug or whatever doing that, because I think, you know, there's probably some calculated motives behind this. And there's probably some emotion behind it too, because as I understand, uh, and the camera didn't really pick this up. Caitlin Clark and Alexis Morris, who is LSU's point guard that was guarding her the whole game, were like this the yeah. whole game long. And like really nasty things were said. <laughs> um, and so I think that might have had something to do with it. Like Angel was taking up for her teammate mm. who ended up having, you know, as good a game practically as Caitlin did. Yeah. You yeah. know, so whatever. I mean, it is what it is. All right. Um, and we've spent, I think, probably too much time on this. Um, I would love to see LSU and Iowa play on the, you know, like in the regular schedule next yeah. year. I think it'd be crazy if um, they don't get together and do that. Yeah. Um, because to have, I mean, because Clark and Reese are both back next year. Yep. Um, so that would be a real marquee matchup if they did it in, you know, around Thanksgiving or Christmas or something before. Especially for one of them to be at home because i mean obviously march madness is the best situation but can you imagine lsu playing at iowa with all yeah. iowa fans or well, vice versa? That, look i mean where that, that game was at what american airlines arena in dallas yes bring it back ne- yeah. neutral site you know fill up that arena with both fan bases and let's go i mean i you know to me that i think that would be great yeah um 
and, and you know, f- put it in a neutral site in as big a stadium as you can and sell the tickets for as much as you can and fill that thing with, if you know, 30, 40,000 people would be unbelievably good for a women's basketball. Game. Yeah. So like, to me, I think that's the smart play, how you make this really a, um, uh, you know, like a positive thing for the game and for the schools involved. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll, there's enough, um, you know, uh, promotership in those two athletic departments to go and make this happen. It wouldn't be a bad thing. I think, I think, um, well, I, you know, obviously I love the game cause I played it, but basketball in general, um, I think it's just a sport that is fast moving. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, well, I have my opinions about the WNBA, but it would be nice if some things changed in the college years, because maybe it would help the NBA to a WNBA too. We'll see. I, I don't know. Did you see that? Uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Tom Brady bought a chunk of a WNBA team. Somebody's the like in, already he's Vegas, making, right? stu- huh? I think it's a, the one in Vegas, right? Yeah. Anybody? So, yeah. so that's interesting. I was like, Hmm. Yeah. So maybe well, guess maybe- what? You can't get a bigger trash talker in the NFL than Tom Brady, by the way. So <laughs> all the champions, <laughs> man, yeah. all the champions, have potty mouths and say crazy stuff. At least that's yeah. been my experience. Oh my goodness. The, I, there was a redheaded on, on my team and she was crazy and everybody feared her, her rightfully so both her mouth and her ability. <laughs> oh my goodness. A lot of fun. All right. Before we go folks, I, I want to talk to you about one small thing and we're going to go from something culturally interesting and fun to something that is it was fun for me. I think it will be fun for you, but it is not something that typically people get excited about, which is going to museums. However, last week I took a week off, went out into the hill country of Texas. And when you think of Texas, the hill country is like Scott, like Texas, you see all the longhorns, you see the cows, the rolling hills, everybody's mm-hmm. in cowboy hats. And I mean, at one point my son and I were counting pickup trucks uh, there maybe every once in a while there was a car, but it was pretty much just all trucks and everybody around there was a rancher and, um, you know, that's where you're at. Well, in Fredericksburg, where we went, we went to the national museum of the Pacific war of all things. It's a kind of a museum you would think would be in like San Diego or something, um, or maybe, or Hawaii even, you know? Um, but it's in Fredericksburg, Texas, and it's dedicated those who served in world war II's Pacific theater, which I feel is like the forgotten theater of world war two, but was the most brutal and the worst. Um, it's just terrible. I, I highly, highly recommend it. We have a lot of people who watch us and read the American spectator who are veterans, who are patriots. If you have the time, I would not suggest going in the summer, come in the spring or the fall where it's not so stinking hot. There's- Central Texas is tough in July and August. In July. There are 732 wineries now in the hill country around 
uh, Fredericksburg so you can get great wine, great German food because it was settled by Germans. And and the reason it's there is because Admiral Nimitz was born there. And um, the museum is quite possibly one of the best national museums I've been to. Um, And I, if you could have pushed me over with a feather, first off, it's like, you're walking downtown, you walk by and you're like, wait a minute, what's that? And so we went and it takes a couple hours to go through, but it was just really the one take home that I got from this, from it. Well, I got, there were multiple, but after going through it, you really get the impression that there is no way World War II would have ended with Japan without the nuclear bombs. Absolutely you get, not. You, you get a real, and, and that seems like a theoretical discussion that a lot of people have, but when you kind of walk through the history and they do a very good job of, um, because it's walking a line because the Japanese were, uh, it's committed such atrocities, um, that, you know, you don't even want to, how do you teach that to children and not scar them for life? So they did a really good job walking the line and still, um, you get the impression unequivocally that the only way the war could have ended was with those nuclear bombs. And it's a complete travesty that it had to happen. Um, but I think that the war would have gone on and on and on just because of the mentality of the Japanese people at the time. Well, yeah. I, I, a similar experience is uh, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, um, which started off as the National D-Day Museum. Mm. Um, and it was founded in New Orleans because the Higgins boats that you, you know, landed on the beaches in World War II were built in New Orleans. Oh. A guy named Andrew Higgins was the company. And those were, you know, there were swamp boats that they basically mm-hmm. repurposed to use as landing craft. And so, you know, that was kind of uh, what, you know, this thing in the warehouse district in New Orleans, which has just grown and grown and grown and grown. Um, and, you know, it has a number of different exhibits, um, you know, one of which, you know, talks about the, the landings on all these different islands in the Pacific War. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same point is made which is, you know, they had done studies on, okay, when we're, you know, if we land troops in Japan and we, you know, when we're going to, you know, clear that archipelago of, of, you know, enemy action, I mean, you know, they were talking about, it's going to cost seven or 800,000 American lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. And millions of Japanese lives. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you had, you know, between Hiroshima and Nagasaki, a couple hundred thousand people died. Mm-hmm. That's nothing compared to what an actual, like, invasion of Japan and having to fight your way mm-hmm. through all of those islands with, mm-hmm. you know, guys with bamboo spears coming at you and have to shoot them. I mean, you know, they had they they were in the process of ordering a million body bags for American troops. if they were going to do this and all of these and you know there's a great scene in band of brothers and of course the the band of brothers people actually did a series called the pacific which is excruciating to watch yeah okay i mean like they did a really good job of depicting just how awful 
Mm. Um, those 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 things were. And there's a number of other really really good movies uh, that have been made about uh, you know uh, about the individual battles Iwo Jima, Okinawa, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a scene in Band of Brothers toward the end where you know like these guys are all okay. The, you know the war in Europe is over. Now they're going to make us go you know, to the Pacific because we're going to have to invade Japan. Right. And these guys, they were all like, I can't believe I've had to go through all of this over the last, you know, year and a half just to go die in Japan. Right. And I mean, you know, there's like this whole thing of these guys, you know, Oh wait, I got my discharge papers. Sweet. I get to go home. Like I'm not going to have to die in Japan. They all thought they were going to die in Japan. Yeah, I mean, they all thought. I mean, these guys all they had would you know, have. cousins and friends and whatever yeah. that were fighting in the Pacific, and they were trading letters back and forth. And they knew they yeah. heard about you know Okinawa had fifteen thousand Americans die, right? right? Like they knew about that. And yeah. the idea that we were you know in the middle of that war that we were uh, we can't drop a nuke because we don't want to you know like we don't want to hurt all these people. And it's like, are you serious? Yeah. You know, the whole point of dropping the nuke on Hiroshima was that the horror of the thing would be so great that Japanese would immediately surrender and that was it. They had to drop Nagasaki because nothing happened. Yeah. And it was like, do we have to keep doing this? And then finally, after they dropped the one on Nagasaki, it was like, okay, now it's done. I mean, it's the most humanitarian decision ever made. Yes. And even still, when he, the, the uh, commander of the J- Japanese army si- signed the papers. One of his generals still rallied a revolt against him. I Absolutely. mean, it was just, I, the whole thing is beyond comprehension. The, I didn't realize that there was also a museum in uh, New Orleans. I'm going to have, now I want to come visit yeah, that. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody go to New Orleans right now. Uh-huh. But the next time New Orleans is like a viable place, mm-hmm. definitely go because it's amazing what's there. Yeah, amazing. And you know, well, you had talked about like, you'll be safe. You're you you can come out and actually enjoy good food and wine, some beautiful Airbnbs, and be in out in the middle of the big sky yeah, hill, of Texas. Country in Texas is fantastic. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, and, I hate to even tell people about it because the next thing you know, there'll be a million people living there and it won't be as nice. But. Well, you know, that's funny you mentioned that because I was looking at housing in Fredericksburg just for giggles and grins. And and it's about an hour for people who are listening about hour and 15 minutes or so west of Austin. The housing market is so absurd. Oh, it is. Yeah. And overvalued, like it's in, insane. You can, you buy a shack for 500,000, yeah. a normal little bungalow for 2 million in the middle yeah. of nowhere, Texas. No, thank you. I think that's just insane. It's, it's yeah. And, and new Braunfels, which is close by yes. is the same thing. And all these, yep. like all these little towns in the hill country and in, in, you know, central Texas, um, the, you know, it's, it's the same prices as Austin and yep. You know, you're like, well, okay, Austin, I kind of get like, but what, like what's going on here? And it's, you know, it's, it's, there's, it's supply and demand. People want to move there. Um, It's a neat place. And, you know, like the developers know it. So all they're building is the high end stuff. Yeah. 
It, and so, you know, you yeah. can't get anything for less than half a million there. It's crazy. However, it's worth visiting for sure. And um, for those of you in America who are like sick of, you know, long plane flights and whatever, this is a truly worth your time. And, uh, and, and there's also uh, in out just outside of Fredericksburg, it might be in the city limits. I don't know. But um, one of the camps when settlers lived there, you know, f the first and uh, German settlers, um, there's some interesting history there uh, with, because of course they're still fighting off Indians, but it was one of the few places there was a German aristocrat who made peace with the local Indians. And so there was never a battle there. They made peace and traded and had a, it was all good. And so like the um, armies who, uh, you know, the people who were stationed there, who were sent down from Minnesota, basically were on vacation. <laughs> you know, did they really didn't have much to do there. And um, so you kind of get a real sense. Nothing got destroyed, in other words. The little homes that they had built, the little cabins and um, are still there. It's it's a It's a really neat historical place to get kind of a sense of Americana where you're safe and you can hang out with your family, bring your family, totally, totally worth it. It's just a great, great mm -hmm. little place. I had no idea uh, myself and I'm not that far from it. So worth mm -hmm. your time. And if, you know, all I could think of while I was going through this is the, the kind of stupidity of the thinking of why these folks went to war and how in this case, it was just inane what the Japanese were up to and what they thought they were gonna do. Um, just a weird mentality. And I feel like we're getting to that place again in, in the world, in history where where really tensions are high and for really stupid things. And that, you know, I feel like in Europe, we're bumbling towards a disaster again with the United States economic policy. We tend to think we're immune or that we're too modern for this kind of horrible thing to happen. And that civilization is it's, just- a, It's exactly veneer. what everybody thought in 1914. Yes. It's exactly what everybody thought then, right? Yep. It's like we are, we are progressed beyond- the point where we need war to settle anything and it'll never happen. And so, you know, when, when the Archduke got killed and it was like, well, we'll mobilize the armies and then we'll, you know, this will all, we'll, we'll do a deal and it'll all be over. And then all of a sudden it was, no, we're going to win this war. And five years later, there's like barely anybody left alive. Yeah. Um, and you know, the people who are in charge now, mm -hmm. not smarter than the people in 1914 no you know so that that's you know it's it's more than a little scary um and you know it's so funny marjorie taylor green is the like the 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 voice of reason who says hey why don't we make peace you know and, and, and it's oh you're a moron for saying that and it's like right mm -hmm. so the smart position is for us to fight world war three against russia over the donbass oh okay Tell me about Marjorie Taylor Greene and how stupid she is again. Like, tell right. me that. Right. But make sure you speak very clearly so we can understand. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, and and 
all of these war museums you go to, like if you're paying attention, you get that list, which is, you know, dumbass politicians um, who, you know, have evil motivations. And I'm not just talking about American dumbass politicians because other countries have dumbass politicians too. And the Germans and the Japanese had especially dumbass politicians. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, um, I mean, lead to ruin. So stay away from dumbass politicians. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, that's hard to do, apparently. Apparently. I mean, I, apparently, although I will say in Finland, they booted the, that young that dumbass is gone. That dumbass is gone. The dumbass in New Zealand is gone, but guess what she's doing for free. She has made it her life mission to eliminate extremism. I didn't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but evidently New Zealand's a hotbed of extremism so um, online. Uh, and so that's oh, what her new okay. mission is. I thought her new mission was to get pregnant. I thought like when she, when she resigned, that that was what she said is, is she told the, the, uh, you know, TV reporter husband or not husband or whatever, Hey, let's get married and let's, you know, let's have another kid. They had one kid. They didn't get married. Now they're going to get married and she wanted to have another kid. I thought that's what she was going to do. Well, she, you know, she, she is a woman. She I guess she's got plenty of time once. to do other things too. Yes. Yeah, so she sends her people online while she's trying to have a kid. Yeah. Sounds very sexy. <laughs> very sexy. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I would say, <laughs> based on what we just ended with, prepare for World War III ammo yeah. up. <laughs> We're not getting smarter. Um, anyway. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. We'll see you next week. Make sure to like, subscribe, you know, do the things to help us spread the word here. And uh, thanks so much, Scott. Good to be back. Mm -hmm.